Hello and welcome to the May 2014 IFRIC Update podcast. My name is Michael Stewart, Director of Implementation Activities at the IASB and I'm joined by uh, Leo Piombino and Akemi Miura, uh, staff at the ISB. And we're going to talk about the, uh, some of the issues that came up at the May 2014 IFRS Interpretations Committee meeting. Now, the comments and views that you'll hear on this podcast are those of the presenters and not necessarily those of the IFRS Interpretations Committee or the IASB. The first issue that we want to look at today relates to a tax item and it's connected with something that is sometimes known as um, uncertain tax provisions. Now, Leo, uh, you were dealing with this. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about the issue, please? Yes, sure. Thank you, Michael. In some jurisdictions, tax law requires an entity to make an immediate payment when a tax examination results in an additional charge, even when the entity intends to appeal against the charge. Different approaches are used to determine whether an asset should be recognized for the amount potentially recoverable from the tax authority. Some entities use a probable threshold, whereas other entities use a virtually certain threshold. The Interpretation Committee was asked to clarify whether ICE-12 and a probable threshold or ICE-37 and a virtually certain threshold should be applied to determine whether an asset should be recognised. Now, in January, the Interpretations Committee tentatively decided not to add this issue to its agenda, but in this meeting in May, the Committee changed its decision. Uh, why was that? Yes, this is right. Uh, because we received 10 common letters on this tentative agenda decision, and 10 common letters is uh, a quite big number. Yes. <laughs> uh, the majority of the respondents agreed with the accounting outcome of the tentative agenda decision. However, many respondents noted that the fact partner is widespread and that there is significant divergence in practice. Consequently, many respondents expressed concern about addressing this issue with non-authoritative guidance. Which, of course, an agenda decision would be. Yes, exactly. The Interpretation Committee, in my mind, didn't change its technical conclusions. Indeed, the Interpretation Committee noted that paragraph 12, S12, provides guidance on the recognition of current tax assets and liabilities and that amounts receivable from tax authorities relating to income tax are current tax amounts. However, the Interpretation Committee agreed that there is significant divergence in practice on whether IS-12 or IS-37 should be applied to determine whether an asset should be recognised. And I think it'd probably be fair to say that some of that um, diversity is perhaps in part because of references to IS-37 in IS-12, which talks about uncertainties and using the disclosures in IS-37 to talk about the disclosures. Exactly. This is paragraph 88. Yeah. This is um, one of the reasons for this this divergence in practice. Yes. Uh, Consequently, the committee concluded the issue should be added to its agenda. It entirely decided to develop an interpretation on the recognition of assets and liabilities in the situation in which the tax position is uncertain. I want to emphasize that the measurement will not be part of this uh, interpretation. Right, okay. So what are the next steps then for this issue? The next steps will be that the staff will will present to the committee a preliminary draft of this interpretation at a future meeting. Great. Thank you. Thank you. 
Now our next issue relates to um, an item on IFRIC 14, which is an interpretation of IS 19 and relates to the limit of a defined benefit asset or minimum funding requirements and their interaction. And this particular issue related to the availability of refunds from a defined benefit plan managed by an independent trustee. Uh, so, Akemi, can you tell us a bit about this issue and what the question was? Sure. IS 19 limits the measurement of a net defined benefit asset to the lower of the surplus in the defined benefit plan and the asset ceiling. If RIC 14 provides an interpretation of the requirement in IS 19, the submitter raised the question as to whether an employer has an unconditional right to a refund of a surplus and recognizes an asset in the case in which the trustee has discretion to use a surplus by augmenting benefits to members or winding up a plan through purchase of annuities or both. Okay. And so what was the Interpretation Committee's discussion about this? What, what were their views? The question discussed related to a plan that is closed to accrual of future benefits such that there will be no future service costs. The Interpretations Committee therefore noted that no economic benefit is available through a reduction in future contributions. The Interpretation Committee also noted the three points. First, the fact that an existing surplus at the balance sheet date could be decreased or extinguished by uncertain future events that were beyond the control of the entity is not relevant to the existing of the right to a refund in accordance with paragraphs 11 to 12 and BC 10 of IFRIC 14. Secondly, if the trustee can use a surplus by augmenting the benefits in the future pursuant to the formal terms of a plan or a constructive obligation that goes beyond those terms, this fact should be considered when the entity measures its defined benefit obligation in accordance with paragraph 88 of IS 19. And thirdly, the amount of surplus to be recognized could be zero as a consequence of the measurement of the defined benefit obligation. Okay, so the Interpretations Committee was separating the recognition assessment from the measurement application for this potential surplus. Exactly, yes. Okay, so what are the next steps with this issue? The committee tentatively decided to develop either an amendment or an interpretation to clarify these points. In a future meeting, the staff will present further analysis to clarify how certain facts affect the measurement and how an entity should distinguish the facts that are relevant to the existence of the entity's right to a refund of surplus from the facts that are relevant to measurement of the surplus. Thank you. Our third issue uh, to talk about today is an item related to IS-19 employee benefits and in particular to the remeasurement 
at a plan amendment or curtailment. Now, Akemi, this was another one that you dealt with, with the Interpretations Committee. Um, can you tell us a little about this particular issue, please? Sure. The committee received a request to clarify the accounting treatment in IS-19. The submitter raised two issues on when a plan amendment or curtailment occurs during a period. Issue one is whether an entity should take account of the measurement of the net defined benefit liability at the event date when determining net interest for the post-event period. And issue two is whether an entity should revise any actuarial assumptions for the calculation of service cost and interest cost in the post-event period. In normal calculation, current service cost and net interest are calculated using the assumptions at the beginning of the period. If a plan amendment or curtailment occurs, net defined benefit liability is remeasured to calculate past service cost accurately. The issues are about the calculation of current service cost and net interest if a curtailment or plan amendment occurs. The issues do not affect the amounts in the statement of financial position because the amount of net-defined benefit liability is remeasured and the assumptions that show significant changes are updated at the end of the period. Overall, the issues affect disaggregation of current service cost net interest, and remeasurement gain or loss within one period. Okay. And so the Interpretations Committee discussed this. What were the views that they expressed relating to this? The committee noted that paragraph BC64 of IS-19 implies that one entity should not revise any assumptions for the calculation of service cost and net interest in the post-event period, even if a significant event or change to the pension plan occurs. However, the Interpretations Committee raised a concern that this would result in presenting current service cost and net interest, ignoring the effect of the significant event or change. The Interpretations Committee tentatively decided to develop an amendment to address this concern. It thought that updating the net-defined benefit liability and any actuarial assumptions to determine current service cost and net interest in the post-event period, if a significant event or change occurs, would result in more relevant information. It also thought that such an amendment would result in greater consistency between IS-19 and paragraph B-9 of IS-34 in term financial reporting. Paragraph B-9 of IS-34 explains that an entity adjusts pension cost for an interim period for significant market fluctuations and for significant one-off events, such as plan amendments, curtailments, and settlements. 
Okay, so in summary, the Interpretations Committee thought that the current literature suggests that you wouldn't update the assumptions, but their view was that it would uh, provide better information if the assumptions were updated in the circumstance where we've got one of these significant events. Yes. So what are the next steps planned for this? The Interpretations Committee's initial thoughts are that such an amendment should not result in considerable additional cost because of the existing requirement to remeasure the net defined benefit liability as of the date of a plan amendment or curtailment for the purpose of determining the past service cost. However, the Interpretations Committee asked the staff to consider this further when developing the proposal. The staff will present proposals for the amendment at a future meeting. Thank you. And finally, the point to note, I think, is that the Interpretations Committee uh, looked at the comment letters received on the annual improvements 2012 to 2014 cycle. And there were five issues included within that uh, exposure draft that had been published back in December of 2013. The Interpretations Committee uh, has recommended that the ISB finalises all of those uh, amendments with just some minor, minor amendments to those. So those will be taken forward to an ISB meeting in the coming months. Well, that brings us to the end of the May 2014 IFRIC Update podcast. Uh, the full record of the committee's uh, proceedings is documented in the IFRIC Update newsletter, which is available on the ISB website. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.